the next episode, we're going to be diving into all of the kind of positive attributes and how you thrive with ADHD and how you've done that in your own life, both personally and professionally. You see what I mean? You got to be crazy. It's too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, full zoom. Because you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Pay attention. From me to you, don't ever lose that. Because it keeps you alive. So we're back with Diane Wingert, and she's a coach that works with creative folks and entrepreneurs and ADHDers, and she has a full-time coaching practice, and she's also had over 20 years of experience with in the realm of psychotherapy and helping people. So she has a vast amount of experience, but she's also an ADHDer herself, recently part of the, the tribe and has come to the party a little bit late in her life, but is here to stay. And she's uh, had many successes, including various different careers and medical sales. And, you know, most recently now she's getting into the field of coaching within the last year. So we're here today talking about the strengths and attributes of ADHD and how to leverage those strengths in your life, how to thrive with ADHD. And you were just going through a list before we hit record. You were just talking about all of the different misconceptions about the label and how we internalize the label. So let's start there. What are all the things you hear on a daily basis that are negative interpretations, negative things about the label, ways we talk about the label and how that, how that that impacts us? Well, first of all, Aaron, thank you for inviting me back for a second go at this. I, I mentioned to you in our previous episode about being diagnosed later in life, coming late to the ADHD party, as I like to say, as being for many, many reasons. Um, but one of them was really resisting the stigma, resisting the label, resisting being counted among those with ADHD. And a lot of it has to do with the things that I would hear other people say. Now, I diagnosed many people with ADHD as a psychotherapist and helped them adjust to the label and to positively frame it in a strength-based perspective. But many of them went through something like the five stages of grief and loss. Because I think instinctively and intuitively, a mental health diagnosis, no matter how we try to spin it, never sounds like good news, right? You are a member of a club you never wanted to apply to. So I think to decide intentionally that you choose to see this as a positive for most people, that's going to require some men mental adjustment. For most people, that's going to re require the courage to take a stand that is going to set you apart from most other people, including your peers. If you are a person with ADHD, you have other people in your family that are ADHD. It could be a parent, sibling, children, all of the above, right? It's highly genetic. We have now zeroed in on the specific genes. It is one of the most highly heritable traits, uh, behavioral traits that people can have. So it's, we know this is the case. People resist the label because it is misunderstood. It has a lot of shame. And the cultural conversation around ADHD these days, I think, has become really quite interesting because 
when I first started hearing people talking about it 20 years ago, it only applied to little boys that couldn't sit still and it went away by the time they were late teens, early adults. So that was the conversation then. Now, prior to that, it wasn't even called ADHD. Prior to that, it was, get this, minimal brain dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be a card-carrying member of that club either. So it's just, I mean, I think first of all, ADHD has a real PR problem and is widely misunderstood. If you just break down the words, I'm not the only person who's ever said this, but seriously, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Well, half the people who have or are ADHD don't have the hyperactivity component. So you just miss them at the door. They hear ADHD and they're like, nope, not me. No, um, I'm ADD. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm ADD. And somehow people seem to like that better. I kind of like my hyperactivity, which we'll get into, but deficit and disorder, you're going to have to work really hard to put a positive spin on those words. You just look them up and you're like, nope, don't want that. These days, we now understand that ADHD is as widely distributed among females as it is among males. We know that it is a spectrum situation from very mild to very severe. We know it can show up by itself or it's most likely to show up with other traveling companions like anxiety, uh, depression, bipolar, substance abuse, OCD, autism, Asperger's and so forth. And a lot of people these days are saying things like, well, everybody has ADHD. Everybody. Or like I've heard many people say, oh, I, I feel so ADD today. Or I'm having, I'm having an ADD day. Or, oh, it's my ADD when they forget their keys. And because it's so often misunderstood, Aaron, I think a lot of people genuinely believe they have a little ADD. But if you really understand it, saying you're having an ADD moment, an ADD day, or you have a little ADD is like that old, you know, slogan about being a little bit pregnant. No, you are or you aren't. It isn't a sometime thing. It isn't contagious. It isn't uh, induced by culture or technology. You don't get it from staying up late or taking too many courses in college. And while many people in society are more distracted than they've ever been, there are very obvious reasons for that because everyone is trying to multitask and divide their attention now. Mm -hmm. But if you are genuinely ADD, ADHD, you always have been. Been, you always will be. And it's a matter of degree. Everybody can be a little distracted, a little forgetful, a little disorganized, a little impulsive, a little hyperactive, a little inattentive, have trouble with concentration. For us, like you've heard the expression, the struggle is real. It, it is real. And it's not situational. And it doesn't matter if you have a smartphone in your hand or you've never seen one. So I think for those of us in this tribe, we have to have the courage to be willing to be misunderstood, to be willing to be mislabeled, to be willing to stand alone at times when other people speak out of ignorance or misunderstanding. In our other episode, we talked about all the folks who have been seeing therapists and sometimes even psychiatrists without getting appropriately identified as ADHD. So talk about misunderstood. You know, some people have asked me, do you think ADHD is being overdiagnosed? Because all of a sudden it's out there. It's like, no, what I think is happening is that 
we're here. We've always been here. I personally think we are a 10% club, not a 5%. And it could be as much as 20. I, I haven't seen enough of the world to know. But I think this is considered a problem in our culture. But if you've ever read Tom Hartman's book mm-hmm. about um, people with AD, people who are ADHD being kind of more like the hunters from the times in human history when we were hunter-gatherer society, we were the hunters. Then we became an agricultural society and we became farmers. Like, we're not farmers. If I had to sit there and wait for things to grow out of the ground, I would go completely nutso. But chances are, back in the day, I would have been willing to go out and hunt for something or be the person who would stand on the hill and use my powers of observation and um, taking in information from the environment to keep the tribe safe. So I think we've always been here. And I think even today in less developed nations, I think we're probably even prized and recognized for the strengths that we have. But I think in modern life, we struggle and we acquire this stigmatizing psychiatric label. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think we it's viewed as a problem. ADHD, the label, the diagnosis, it's viewed as a problem. But it's a problem because of the context of our society. Yes. And the way we're conditioned to believe about ourselves, what is, what isn't acceptable behavior, what's normal, what's abnormal, mm-hmm. where all these things are kind of thrown at us in terms of societal constructs and beliefs. But those things are not necessarily facts. Those are just value judgments and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And of course, the world right now We're in this time, as you mentioned, where there's an emphasis on multitasking and open office plans and these kind of always connected, you're on your device, you're working, you're responding to email 24-7, this go, go, go kind of atmosphere. And yes, everyone is getting more distracted and is more distractible because we're always connected, always on. And the devices and advertising and everything else is just, we're inundated with that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think you're right about the Tom Hartman stuff that like, I, I believe that ADHD and when we talk about mental disorders or mental illnesses, why do they keep you know, coming back year after year, decade after decade, century after century? It's not like ADHD is new. Nope. It didn't, didn't just happen since the advent of computers. It's been around for centuries, probably since, like you said, the caveman days. Absolutely. It's, it's been there. We just call this ADHD. We put a label on it and it's an evolutionary, I, I believe this, it's an evolutionary trait. Now, right now in society, certain um, what we consider mental disorders are maybe not seen as evolutionary advantages because they make it hard to to function and fit in with the way society at its current um, you know frame uh, its current um, way that it's set up. They're not seen as as valuable players all the time in those constructs. Right. But I think if we understand mental conditions as different ways the brain is responding to stimuli outside in the environment, different ways that it's processing things. So a brain that has dyslexia is processing things very different than a brain that has bipolar, than a brain that has ADHD, 
than a brain that has ASD, autism spectrum, or Asperger's. They process information differently. That doesn't mean it's bad or good. That's a value proposition. That's a judgment. So what I think we need to start doing is understanding that we're imposing these values and saying, this is bad, this is acceptable, this isn't. And actually, if we embrace some of the traits we have and learned how to adapt them or make them more adaptable into our current day-to-day exist, they actually show up as strengths. And I think you're an example of that because you've, you work with entrepreneurs and you have, you are an entrepreneur yourself as a business owner. So let's talk about, let's shift gears a little bit to, to that. How, how is it advantageous in your life? How has it served you? Well, I didn't identify as an entrepreneur till I was in my fifties. However, when I look back, all the traits that entrepreneurs have were already well developed in me by my early twenties. I just arguably they're they they're kind of parallel to ADHD traits too, right? Yes, yes, because risk taking, risk taking, creativity, out of the box thinking, high energy, out of the box thinking. Uh, willingness to do things in an unconventional way, ability to work long hours at something you're interested in. My hyper-focus. Very, yeah. Hyper-focus. My very first uh, job after my bachelor's degree, if you've ever heard of Nautilus Fitness Equipment, mm-hmm. I got involved with the people who were bringing Nautilus to Southern California around 1980. I just finished my bachelor's in communication at UCLA. I wasn't exactly settled in on a career path yet. So some friends of mine got involved with this company and asked me to get involved. By the time I'd been there a year and a half, I was like a brand out of college kid with a degree in communication. I didn't know anything about the fitness business. I didn't know anything about business, but I was opening up clubs for this organization. So how it worked was I, they would say, we need a location on the west side. Great. I learned how to scout out an lo- appropriate location, negotiate a lease, get the place started, hire people to come in and equip the club, recruit, hire, and train the trainers, write the copy, and supervise a photographer to create the advertising, which went in the LA Times at that time, sold memberships. Once the club was running and all it needed was what I call maintenance, I had lost interest and I'd say, send me to the next place. So for a couple (laughs) of years, I went around and literally opened up locations all over Southern California. I worked six days a week, minimum 14 hour days. I was in heaven. Basically, I was entrepreneurial with other people's money. And I had no way to be. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I had no restrictions, no constraints. They just said, you are great at this. And I didn't know how to do any of those things. But because I had the freedom and the interest and the motivation, I just figured it all out. Well, that was ADHD power. And that's why so many entrepreneurs, it's why I love working with entrepreneurs as a coach, because I would guess probably two thirds of entrepreneurs and my other favorite yeah. is creatives. 
are ADHD, whether they know it or mm-hmm. not. So it, I think for some, it's a matter of we The numbers are probably about that same for creatives as well. <laughs> absolutely. That's been my experience. And it's because we either don't fit the box or we don't even realize there is a box. Mm-hmm. We look at things in a different way and don't like the constraints. But unfortunately for me, I didn't recognize what those traits in me meant. And so I didn't take another stab at the entrepreneurial life for another 30 years. Mm. I was entrepreneurial within my careers, but I called it being, now I think back to being an entrepreneur. I was inside an organization, but entrepreneurial in nature. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of fun to coach entrepreneurs because they have the same traits that we have and the same struggles and misunderstandings about them. I think part of it does also come down to confidence in yourself and, and abilities, right? If you believe that you can do something, and you're, and you can leverage your other traits that you have. Mm-hmm. Some of those ADHD superpowers that we have, leverage those. Then it can be great. But if you if you don't believe in yourself, or you think that, oh, okay, it must have been a fluke, or this was just in this job position, or this was just at this time in my life, it was just this circumstance. But you don't figure out oh, what is it that gets me to click in and motivate me internally and externally to succeed? And right. that's that's part of, I think, what we're always learning and needing to figure out as ADHDers is how to leverage those traits. And I'm sure you work with your clients on on how to access those and realize what those traits are, right? Right. A lot of times people don't even understand why they are successful. Yeah. They think, uh, I just work really hard. I want it more than anyone else. They don't really know. So in my work with clients, the first place we go is identifying their gifts, talents, abilities, and strengths. Because if something is your innate ability, you take it for granted. Right. You, you just yeah. think, Oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm a good I, artist, but, yeah, like, but oh, I suck at math. So. <laughs> right. Because our culture focuses on weakness fixing, not strength supporting. And, you know, just think back to your report cards when you were a kid, you might have a whole bunch of A's and B's, but if you got an unsatisfactory in citizenship because you interrupted the teacher or, you know, you had a hard time waiting in line or these sort, you know, your citizenship was very important. Um, sometimes teachers think it's more important. So, and as you know, the human brain is fixated on the negative. We are wired to pay more attention to the negative than the positive. So, and it's, it's an evolutionary bias. It is frankly what's kept us alive all these millions of years and at the top of the food chain. Yeah, threat detection. Exactly. So we motivation that we have to identify threats, identify things that are problems, and then focus on those, but overlook our own successes and those things that are actually like 
stuff we did well, like the wins. Exactly. So I think that the fact that we have this evolutionary bias towards negativity wired into our brain, whether it's an ADHD brain or a neurotypical brain, we all have this. But if you add to that the ADHD traits of rapid thinking, out-of-the-box thinking, hyper-focus, all of these, you know, where you're like extra, mm-hmm. then you can get into a real trap with overthinking, second-guessing, perfectionism, people-pleasing, all of these things that are as a result of having the brain that we have plus the negativity bias and not understanding how you can manage that. I've seen so many really gifted, talented people sabotage themselves because of what they didn't understand about how their brain works. And then also thinking that we have to be like everyone else. That's probably the only regret I would actually say I have of how I lived my life is that I, I tried to be like everyone else because for many years I believed different was bad, different was less, Mm -hmm. different was wrong. I have very consciously and intentionally changed that. I think different is awesome. (laughs) Difference should be celebrated. I am totally into neurodiversity. Some of the most fantastic people I know are Asperger's, are OCD, are ADHD, and maybe society thinks we're the freaks. I think we're the canaries in the coal mine, and I think society needs us and is only beginning to discover why. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. I, I'm on board with that 110%. Yes. So I how think do, they're going yeah. to figure, figure it out within our lifetime. Yeah. Well, regardless of if society is ready to accept and appreciate the, the differences, the different ways of thinking and seeing and experiencing the world, the whole scope of neurodiversity, whether society is ready to really embrace that or not. I think we, we can't sit back and wait. And part of the reason why we do, I'm doing this podcast and you're doing the work you're doing mm-hmm. and I do my coaching practices because I think we need to, to start encouraging individuals, individual by individual to adopt this acceptance mindset and to understand their own strengths and to learn how to move forward in a really positive way in their life. And it's not about overlooking the challenges or just diminishing those challenges and saying, oh, those don't exist. We're, you know, you're just really good at this. So let's just only focus on that. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's about, hey, if you're really awesome in this area, how, how can you also work on something else and bring some of the, those strengths over here and maybe find ways so this isn't as much, this isn't getting in the way of you reaching your true potential in this area. Mm-hmm. If you really don't care about this over here, it's not interesting. Don't beat yourself up about not being good at math. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I was that way yeah. growing up and I don't know if you were that way, but I was like, I was really, math never came easy to me except for geometry because it was visual and I was an artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I did really well in geometry, like A's. And I was like, yes, I finally got math. And then we moved on to trig and I was like, <laughs> but I was like algebra and then geometry. Yay. And then tr- yeah. trig. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not 
great at math. That's what I thought at the time, right? Yep. And I beat myself up about it. And now I'm looking back, I'm like, I've never used trig. I've never had to use it. I've never had to use really a lot of math. There's calculators. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot of stuff that you just don't need that we're taught. So do we have to feel bad about that and, and think, oh, I mean, I'm incompetent. I'm this, I'm that, I'm lazy. I'm like, no. Like, why beat ourselves up about the things that are difficult and hard? And why not just figure out ways to still get what you need to get? Maybe it's those the grades you need to get or reach that promotion in, in the job or move your career to a different career. Get to that level, but not have to put yourself through hell thinking I need to be like everyone else and do it the exact same way as everyone else. And if I don't, something's wrong with me. Yeah, I think, Aaron, feeling bad about yourself is always optional. Right? Like that, yeah. Like it's always optional because feeling bad about yourself depends on your thoughts, right? And we both meditate and practice mindfulness. So we have learned that we are not our thoughts. We are the thinker of our thoughts. And my brain can serve up all kinds of crappy thoughts like, oh, you screwed that up or I can't believe you did that again or what the hell's your problem or aren't you ever going to get your shit together? My brain serves thoughts like that up on a regular basis under the guise of being helpful by reminding me of what's happened in the past. But I get to choose whether I want to engage with those thoughts and I want to run with those thoughts or whether I can remind myself I was in a hurry, I didn't have enough sleep, I, I'm not hydrated, that's why I'm more scattered than normal, what do I need to do now? And, you know, part of the, my coaching program with my clients is, and we've talked a little bit about this, is what I call radical self-acceptance. I think most of us have spent far too long dwelling on our deficits Mm -hmm. and choosing to believe we are inadequate because we have them. For example, as a woman, there is a cultural expectation that I should um, have some domestic abilities. Even a working woman, a professional woman, I was always a working mom, so I had a career and I had a family. And I was also a single parent of three for 10 years when my kids were going through their teens. And if I had clung to the cultural expectation that because I am a woman and a mother and a head of household and sometimes a wife, I need to clean my house, organize my house, stock my house, um, decorate my house, prepare the meals, serve the meals, all this. If I decided to embrace those expectations, I would be miserable because not only am I not terribly interested in those things, the executive functioning challenges of preparing, planning, cooking, making sure everything comes out the way it's supposed to at the right time, times X number of people. That was so hard for me 
And for a long time, I really felt very inadequate as a woman. I really felt like a huge disappointment. One time my kids actually said, are you trying to poison us? (laughs) It was so bad. And I thought I'm the worst mother ever until I finally realized, you know, if you just do the things you're really good at and people appreciate about you and you appreciate about you, there are other ways to deal with the cooking and cleaning. There are workarounds. Not only workarounds. There are strategies. There are ways to delegate. And I'm a huge fan of a strategy that I call eliminate, automate, or delegate. Like Mm -hmm. there are seriously whole categories of your life you could get rid of and you won't even miss them. That sounds kind of like Tim Ferriss, uh, the four-hour work week idea. Yes, yes. Because we do, if we keep trying to do the things that I, like I think about it and the way I work with my clients is like, we need to be very clear. Where do you shine and where do you suck? Yeah. And are you spending your energy and your effort and your focus on the things you suck at when there are other solutions for those other than trying to get better by working harder and shaming yourself when you could either get rid of that stuff get someone to help you or put in some kind of system so that you can do more of the stuff that makes you feel like a worthwhile human being. We can all get better at that. And sometimes it's just actually giving yourself permission to pay attention to your strengths instead of paying attention to the stuff that you suck at. And you probably always will, even if you get additional help or training and it's okay. Perhaps, and but either way, if you if you have that negative mindset when you're approaching it, or or when you're thinking about yourself, and you're thinking, yeah. I am bad at this, I can't do this, it never works out for me. I'm always this. I'm always that. Always late. Always something. Then that's just the way I am. Right? That's People just the way. That's I'm, just the way I am. That's like you said. That's a very disempowering place to be at. And there's no motivation in that zone. You don't even, you're not even giving yourself an option of any kind of solution or any kind of choice in the matter. And I think that we always have a, have a decision, a choice in anything, whether, like you said, whether it's stuff we're thinking about, internalizing, whether it's our own thoughts, those thoughts that are negative or positive, how we're framing situations. And like I, I brought this up in the in the talk, but it's kind of like the weather or something that mm-hmm. that no matter what the weather is outside, there's always going to be someone that's going to think this is horrible. I hate it. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too rainy. It's too windy. Yep. Someone's going to go out and complain about the weather. Now, if you're the kind of person that goes and complains about the weather, like think about it this way. What would happen if you radically accepted the weather every day? Mm-hmm. Just like we could radically accept ourselves. What yes. if we did that? What if we radically accepted, you know what? Today is cold. It's not bad. It's not good. It's not horrible. It's just, I got to put on a jacket. And even cool. Even <laughs> I got to get an umbrella. Even cold, Aaron, is contextual. Yeah. Is it cold? Is our cold here in the U.S. cold to someone who lives in 
Yeah, who's an Inuit? <laughs> no, like it's it's the the judgments are what causes our suffering, not our circumstances. Yeah, and our and our expectations of how it should be or what is what's what's good and what's bad, those are judgmental things. I think should is the most dangerous word in the English language because we use it to beat ourselves up. I've had people we should all over me, ourselves. We should all over ourselves. <laughs> and I, I think that's so clever. But I've had people tell me that they need to do that to motivate themselves. It's like, yeah. well, I'm pretty sure that's a belief system. But have you ever tried accepting yourself as a strategy instead and just doing a, like a taste test? You could try the shooting for a week and then you could try the accepting for a week and then look at your results and see. I think it's worth a try. I like that. Well, let's wrap this up with what are some of the, what are some of the, just give me some highlights of how you have leveraged in your own life, the positive attributes of your HD, how it's, how those things have served you in your life. Let's just kind of, you know, go through a list of, of ways in which ADHD has, has helped you, served you, has advanced you in your career, in your personal life. I didn't know this was ADHD at the time, but as far back as I could remember. Well, now that you know, now that, now you know. that I know, now that I know, I've always had a lot of energy. I've always compared to other people. And especially now that I'm in my 60s, it's really obvious. Um, in fact, I generally don't like hanging out with people my age because they can't keep up. Um, I, my mind moves very fast. And sometimes that means it moves on before other people are ready to move on. So the plus side of that is that I'm a voracious learner and a growth mindset person. I have been a lifelong learner. I love education of all types, especially experiential, but I read a lot. I listen to lots of podcasts. I love travel. So I, I think all of the traits I would say that are real strengths for me that I believe I owe to my ADHD are um, high energy, enthusiasm, creativity, risk-taking, I'm very comfortable with change, and I actually seek it out. I am an excellent problem solver. I can see solutions that other people don't see, or at least I can see them much faster. I recognize patterns in things. I am willing to say things that other people are uncomfortable saying. And sometimes that's the hyperactivity. I blurt things out before I or impulsivity really... or something. Yeah. Yeah. Impulsivity. Yes. I'm sorry. It's impulsivity rather than hyperactivity. Um, and so I think I'm willing to try anything once. So I'm very spontaneous. The there is a downside to all these things. Well, hold on. Before don't don't go I, there. I'm not yeah. going to go there. Now, how how those things have served me? Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm intensely curious. And the subject that I'm most intensely curious about and always has been is human beings. 
So how it served me in this way is my first career in sales. You don't rest on your laurels in sales. You are only as good to your company as your last win. And because we have short memories and are highly motivated for something that's right in front of us because we're going for that dopamine hit, I would just think of my career like one sale at a time. So I make a great presentation. I close the sale. Boom, that's a win. You know, the dopamine starts to wear off. So you have to do it again and again and again. So that was a really good career for me. I also recognize that I have the trait of hyper-focus. I have learned over the years how to manage it. In the past, it was indiscriminate. So my interest in something would just latch itself on and then the rest of the world would disappear from me. It would fall away, yeah. It would fall away. It was like I could be in the middle of a burning building, but if I was reading a book that was fascinating to me, I, I would be like, what's that smell? Wait, I just have to keep going. This is so good. Just a few more pages. Oh, I think that's my hair on fire. <laughs> I mean, I've had, I've had some crazy-ass experiences in my life where I think, shoot, should I be afraid? But then I'm like, nah. You know, because I'm very adventuresome and I will, all the travel I've done in the last 10 years has been to developing countries, Mongolia, Myanmar, Chile. I go to really interesting places and I interact with people that you would never expect someone like me to have the opportunity to meet. I would love it if I could speak every language in the world so I could have deep, meaningful conversations with everyone. I can't do that. So I find interpreters wherever I go. And I ask really deep questions because I'm not afraid to go deep. I recognize that's also ADHD because I require intensity. So I think all of yeah, these- that's an, that's an ADHD yeah. attribute too, that intensity. I require a lot of intensity. So in order to stimulate, engage- and motivate and hold my attention, something either has to be really challenging, really interesting, really unusual, or very intrinsically engaging. So if there's, if it's something mysterious or something provocative or, and I've sort of, I'm thought of by people who know me well as being very bold and very dynamic I realize that's also ADHD because I'm not afraid of intense things. When I was a therapist, I became known among my colleagues as the person who wasn't afraid to ask anything. I was completely fearless with my clients and my clients knew no, nothing was off limits. Nothing was too shocking, too scary, too sordid. It wasn't that I was uh, a voyeur. It was that I was completely fearless about exploring the human condition because people suffering was something I wanted to do something about. So em empathy and compassion, I realize, are also ADHD traits. And just having an enormous ability to tolerate intense experiences meant I could help people who were in incredible levels of suffering without it negatively affecting me. You know, yeah. I, I'd have some people say, how can you work with all of these girls who've been sexually abused and hear all their stories? How can you work with all of these people who are actively suicidal and not have it make you suicidal? 
I believe it is the ADHD traits of curiosity, intensity, and compassion. It served me really, really well. And now as a coach, especially working with entrepreneurs with ADHD, I understand them so well because I'm one of them and because I'm a very optimistic person, which I also think is an ADHD trait. We're resilient because we fall down, we get up, we fall down, we get up, we fall down. Along the way, you learn to get really good at standing up or you just stay down. And I also think you develop a sense of humor about the human condition and about yourself. I make fun of myself all the time because I think this is the stupidest thing ever. Like you have literally made the same mistake probably a hundred times this year. And yet here you are again. It's, it's wildly amusing. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, we have to laugh. We, have, well, we don't, we don't like, have to. We don't have to, but if we don't, what's the, what's the option there? It's like, do you, do you, want to feel sad about it in the moment or can you smile at it and is that like what's going to serve you more in that moment true and i think where legitimately where i have struggled most in my life is in relationships because being really high energy very talkative always thinking of new ideas and wanting to pursue them and having a hard time staying the course when things are not always exciting makes me a very uh, exciting partner in the short run. In the long run, I think it's very challenging to be with someone like me. So I have had to learn and grow and and take a very active role in working on my own personal development so that I can be a better partner because it doesn't come easily to me. Yeah. And, but it also like almost all of those things that you said, again, are not necessarily good or bad. They're just, they're who you are. They're what mm-hmm. stimulates you and what motivates you, what interests you, what moves you forward in your own life. And a lot of it does kind of has to go with like the goodness of fit for other things, whether it's relationships or friendships or jobs. Sometimes if we're struggling against something that feels so hard, it may not be the right position. It may not be the right situation. It may not be the right person for you mm-hmm. in the moment because maybe they don't, they're not seeing all of the the beauty or all of the, um, you know, strength or all of the other things that, that, that you have in you. And those things are, are being taken, taken for granted. And I think that if we believe in ourselves and we have a sense of, of self assurance and confidence, well being and understanding we are enough and we love ourselves that true self-love, that's mm-hmm. part of that self-acceptance, that radical acceptance. And, and, being, if, and being honest with other people about who that self is. Like, you know. Yeah, communicate, you have, right. You do have to communicate and share. Here's, here's who I am. Here's my needs. Here's, here's, here are the 
the eccentric ways that I I exist in in a world that maybe isn't isn't built for me and my modes of of operation, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a place for you and a person for you and a situation that you can thrive and do really well in. And I think that like you're, even though it wasn't always easy, like again, you're a testament to this because you've had successful careers in multiple areas and you've reinvented yourself multiple times. Most people don't do that. Most people stay where it's easy and they're like, stay with the same career in the same vein. They don't step outside. It's true. Like, you've reinvented yourself three, couple, four, couple of times. five times. In fact, I was, just, I was just saying this to my husband earlier today. I said, you know, one of the things, I mean, I understand it intellectually. I just can't feel it is that the majority of people are desperately afraid of change and will do anything they possibly can to avoid it, no matter how miserable they may be with the way things are. I love change. I seek it out. I actively embrace it. And I know that makes me very unusual amongst other humans. It makes me very usual for ADHD. And for me, when things don't change enough, I start to get bored. And you probably would agree, for people like us, boredom feels like a life-threatening condition. (laughs) To me, it really feels like an emergency. So if I'm feeling bored, I have to pay attention to that because to ignore it is going to lead to all kinds of serious problems. And I now give myself permission. If I go see a movie and 20 minutes into it, I'm not feeling it, I will quietly leave. Instead of forcing myself to stay in the seat for two hours of my life that I'll never get back, feeling frustrated and restless and antsy and asking myself, how do all these other people find this so engaging? I'm going out of my mind. I just leave. Yeah, because time... Time is one of those resources that, that you can't get back. And you can you can make back more money. You can, you know, reach other things in your life like careers or other things. You, you can go to m- more movies. But time, if you value yourself, if you value time, it's one of those those resources that's finite. And how you spend your time says a lot, I think, about like a person's self-worth and, and how they decide to uh, – you know, to, to live a life worth full of meaning and full of purpose for them. And everyone, all, all the ADHDers out there, I think, need to do that. For, we all need to do that for ourselves to figure out where do I, where do I fit in and where am I going to add my contributions, my unique contributions to this world. Every one of us has gifts, talents, strengths, skills, abilities and the world needs us and if more of us can strongly loudly actively proclaim you know ADHD and loving it ADHD and proud of it ask me about my ADHD like remember that 
I think it was Herbal Life. There was a button, you know, lose weight now, ask me how. I like to have a button saying, ask me about my ADHD. Like seriously, because we can be part of this strengths-based yeah. Ask me why I love my ADHD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I think you could, I think that would be a great documentary. We should talk to Stephen about that. <laughs> well, there's a, there is a documentary called ADHD and Loving It. Of course, I've already but seen I, that. But, I, <laughs> but I'm not necessarily going to promote that one because uh, – <laughs> And that's it kind of takes it in the opposite direction mm. um, well it is a comedy it is a comedy thing. yeah it is a comedy um, but I, I don't necessarily agree with like the uh, the the framing of the way that um, he did that but either way um, I do agree that 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 would be awesome to have like a button or something that's like ask me about why I love my ADHD mm-hmm. <laughs> that'd be so cool but Anyways, um, I want to value your time and <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me and talk to us on this podcast and share your lived experience and all the knowledge that you have to give us. And um, yeah, I, I feel like we're, we're just at the beginning of this road and, and obviously um, you are part of this attention different community and part of this tribe uh you came late to the party but you're here and <laughs> i'm loving it and we're here with open arms and and stuff just accepting you here so thanks again for coming spending the time and uh i want to make sure i plug your website too so just uh if people are interested to um get a get some coaching services if you're an entrepreneur out there um, or if you're uh, a creative type person or an ADHDer that would like some coaching services, um, where's where's your practice located? Just tell your tell the listeners a little bit about that, and then I'll plug the website. Absolutely, I have a small practice face to face in Pasadena, California. Most of my clients are virtual, so I work with them by phone or my preferred method is Zoom, and they are actually global. I have clients all over the U.S. and even outside the U.S. So if you are an entrepreneur or creative or a creative entrepreneur, whether officially diagnosed with ADHD or you strongly identify with the traits, um, anyone who's thinking I might be a good coach for them is invited to book a 30-minute consultation by visiting my website at dianewingertcoaching.com. And it's kind of a funny spelling. So it's D-I-A-N-N-W-I-N-G-E-R-T coaching.com. And I'm sure Aaron will put it in the show notes. Yes, I will be putting that in the show notes. And just to repeat it again, www.dianwin, like win, G-E-R-T coaching.com. Oh, that sounded way better than me. So <laughs> awesome. You got win in the middle. Win is your, the middle part. I, I like that. Name. Actually, what I, what I tell people usually so they can remember my last name is like wing, like winging it, like what we've been doing all our lives. <laughs> so we do better. So either way, win or wing, you, you go. All right. Thanks so much. This was fun. Thanks for inviting me, Aaron. Till next time. All Bye right. now. Bye. You see what I mean? You got to be
crazy. It's too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, Bozo. Because you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're nothing. Attention. Pay attention. Pay attention.